prison at this point in Acts chapter 5, 25. Uh, this is toward the end of Acts, and I'm only going to focus on Acts chapter 25 and 26 for today because the other two is too many. So he has been imprisoned for two years for going around being the pesky man that talks about this guy Jesus raising from the dead. He's getting thrown in prison, beaten, and bloodied because he won't shut up about it. And he's bold. He's a troublemaker in all the, the best ways possible. He's a troublemaker because he won't shut up about the deepest passion that he has. And that is that Jesus rose from the dead and is our savior and has secured our salvation in heaven. So he won't shut up about it. And so at this time in Roman history um, and early church history, there's a governor named Felix, and he's the one that actually kept Paul in prison for two years. And then an emperor gets assassinated, and then a new emperor comes in. This is Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero's like, uh, the governor of that town is terrible at his job, so I'm going to bring in Festus instead of Felix. And Felix was a freedman, which means he was a slave at one point that was elevated um, to the place of governor because his brother was friends with emperor so there you go. Uh, but Fest, and he's, he's terrible with money, so which is the other motivation that this, this emperor Nero wants to like, he wants more money coming in and it's not being handled well. So he sends in Festus. And Festus is a guy who, com in comparison to Felix, is a good man. I'm not saying a great man because he's still oppressing people, which is bad. And so that's, that's not a thing to celebrate, but he's at least turning the economics around in the town. And then the Jews who had brought Paul to Felix in the first place, and he's been thrown in prison, they go to Festus and they're like, can you deal with this guy? He's a pest. He keeps talking about the resurrection. And Festus, who's not a Jew, is like, what are you talking about? He doesn't really care, but he does care about facts and he does care about relatively fair trials. And so... This is, this is all setting up where he's about to go and meet Paul and see about whether or not these accusations and this, all this uproar is for something. Now, another little quick side note. The Romans don't like it when the people they subjugate rise up against them. Not a fun time. So they want to do anything they can to kind of appease them a little bit and keep them shut up and like, just let us oppress you and we'll give you some concessions. And so this is what Festus is wanting to do. So... Let's read some Bible, but we'll pray first. Holy Spirit, this is your word to us. We ask that you would guide us into the truth that's here. And we thank you for using the foolishness of preaching to bring about mighty truths. And that, that would change our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, starting off, this is <clears throat> Acts 25. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he... Festus, commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he, this is what my brain does when I read the Bible. I have this voice that reads it in my own voice as I'm reading it. And then there's a silly voice that comes in. And when I read this, it goes... They made many serious complaints against Paul, which they couldn't prove. Like, that's just what lives in my head, and I'm sorry. I hope you don't have as horrible of an experience with it as I do. But I just find it funny, like they couldn't do nothing with him. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews 
nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended anything at all. And he, captive for two years, you'd think, you'd think that he had been beaten down and not ready for the fight. But he spent that two years in prison going, I can't wait for my day. And he kept feeding the fire in his belly to go out and proclaim the gospel once again to anybody who will hear it. And I am certain that he was preaching to the guards that were holding him. And he was just preparing and preparing and preparing. And this persecution he was under was about to display to the whole world because the whole world has now been exposed to the Bible, or most of it, not all of it. There's still places we've got to get to. But... It's going to put on display that Paul is an intellectual giant because he, if you aren't familiar with somebody who is being taught by a rabbi, his rabbi was Gamaliel. That's the one who taught him. You had to have memorized the first five books of the Bible and be able to recite it. Anybody got the Ten Commandments? <laughs> five, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. So you could go to Paul and you could say, hey, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 5, what's it say? And he'd be able to, boom, bring it to you. This guy's brain was on fire. I mean, just in an intellectual giant. It would be like being, having a PhD from Harvard back when it mattered. <laughs> he goes on. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? And what Paul knew, what Festus might not have known, was that's a murder plot. Because the Jews were going to be waiting on the way from Caesarea to Jerusalem to hide and ambush and kill him. And Paul knew this. Still not afraid, but Paul knew it. And his desire was to go speak the gospel to the highest power in the land, which is Caesar. And he wanted to go there, so he goes, in all of his brilliance, he appeals. He says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. Because he's a Roman citizen. He's not just a Jew, not just a Pharisee, but he's a Roman citizen. And he goes, I have the right to have Caesar hear my case. I don't know about you, but if I've been thrown in prison and beaten down, it would be hard for me to have the presence of mind to know all the laws of the land as well as my own faith and go, get me in front of Caesar. This guy is an impressive man. He is not Jesus. He's not perfect. We don't worship Paul, but he's impressive. And I want to glean from Paul his boldness and his desire to know the word of God and his desire to speak in the face of all kinds of opposition. And so he says... To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving death, I do not object to dying. I don't say that. I delete that. I'm just like, I want to stay alive. But he goes, if, if I've really done something wrong, come on, let's, let's do it. Let's just go. Bring the axe. Chop my head off. Let's go. Because he lives for a country far away from here in a much, much better place, and he's ready for it. But he doesn't want to be wrongly accused. He's like, if I've done something wrong, do that. I don't want to die because you're lying, right? So impressive. I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing, if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. 
what you've just seen is Paul's uttermost confidence in the face of a Roman governor who could have him killed, and then Festus starts bluffing because Festus has got nothing on Paul. He has nothing that he can send him to Caesar with as a legitimate charge. And so that's what you see in debates, like whenever somebody's like losing, this is what they do. Well, you know, I mean, imagine being the governor and this, this pesky little Jew is too smart for you. This guy that you think is subhuman is besting you. And you go, well, I am going to send you to Caesar. That's just a little boy reacting and trying to get out of this thing. And so he's not a, he's, he can't send him to Caesar yet until he's got something on him. Which brings me to this next thing that I see in Paul is that he's a very practiced Christian. He's a very experienced, practiced man in the face of opposition. And so because he's got nothing on this man, he goes to the king that, that the Roman emperor has installed as the king, they call him the king of the Jews, is Herod Agrippa, right? Now, just something to know about the, the line of Herod is that line is an Arab line. They are not Jewish people. It's an Arab line. So you have Jews who are occupied by Rome, and to add insult to injury, they install an Arab who is another enemy of Israel to be their king. It's kind of like a smack you in the face kind of installment for a king. But because they've lived there and they've subjugated the Israelites for so long, they are pretty well versed in the problems that are presented in that area. So he goes, I'm just a Roman governor. I don't know crap about what's going on. Get me somebody in here who's an expert. And that's Herod Agrippa, who comes in with Bernice, his sister, who he's sleeping with. Yuck. And Bernice and came with great pomp. You have this juxtaposition of this, these, these elitists coming in with pomp. I don't know what pomp is. I know what pulp is. But pomp is just, just brashly walking through like you're so important. And like, here I am with my sister who's so hot. And blah, 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 blah. And they're coming in with all this. Right? And then you have Paul, who's just steady and waiting. He's like a sniper, ready to engage. They don't know what they're up against. They truly don't. And Festus can't find anything to charge Paul with, so he brings in this guy, who knows at least a little something about Jewish theology. And King Agrippa, this is Herod Agrippa. A little bit more context here. His great-grandfather is the one who tried to kill Jesus as an infant. His grandfather is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. His dad is the one who martyred James. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He's the one that killed him. And so here he stands before the next in line, and this line is hell-bent on stopping the move of Jesus. And Paul knows this and is unafraid. If you were a part of a movement that was being persecuted and you're in front of one of the major forces that tries to snuff you out, you might be a little nervous. But Paul's experienced and practiced in being persecuted and beaten and bloodied and he has nothing of fear before him. I want that from Paul. I want to put that deep down into my bones. We don't get persecuted in this country, not like they do. Not like they did, 
not like Pastor William and Hephzibah gets persecuted in India. We cannot shrink back from people saying petty things to us. We must be practiced to be able to have a spine to be sure in our conviction of the things that we believe. There is no excuse for cowardice. We can be bold, and we need to push ourselves to be bold. So, the next day when Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and he entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. Paul has audience with a Gentile Roman governor, a Jewish king, and all the most important people in the city, and it's on public display for all to see. When Jesus knocked Paul down on the road to Damascus, he said, he said that he, he blinds him, and we're going to get into that. But he goes to this man named Ananias, and he says, I want you to go to Paul because I'm going to send him before Gentiles, rulers, and kings. He has all three present there in this moment. This is a partial fulfillment of God's promise of what he's going to do with Paul. And there's more. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. I'll let you talk now. So he's got to be his own lawyer, which nobody's more prepared to talk about the law than him in that moment. So they don't know what is about to be unleashed upon them, and it is one of the best discourses in human history. He says, so Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Stretched out his hand. That just caught me. I was like, did he do this? Did he do this? Well, how did he do it? The scholars don't know how he stretched his hand out. Let me just disappoint you. But I think it went something like this. I'm happy to be here. I'm just so glad you all showed up for this. They thought that they had him with his back to the wall, and he's like, you are here because I want this to happen. He was bent on getting to Rome and getting to Caesar in front of all these people. And God, all along the way, kept this delaying it and delaying it and delaying it, I believe, until Paul was the most like Jesus he could possibly be to then speak to power. <clears throat> and so, because Paul at this point has disciples, he's planted churches, he's done all this stuff, and he speaks with this loving, fatherly kindness to the people that he writes letters to. And that's the kind of person that you want to be able to be sober-minded in front of these people. And so, you're permitted to speak for yourself. Happy to be here. I know it's my death trial and all, but you know what? Couldn't be happier. That's, that's borderline crazy, unless what he believes is true. Right? King Agrippa... because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. And he says patiently because he's about to do a lot of speaking. And I'm going to spare you some of that speaking. There's a lot of scriptures going on today. But I'm going to do my best to summarize what he says before he says this next thing. He goes into his testimony. He says, look, I'm here today because I'm on trial for speaking about the hope of the resurrection, which our fathers preached this. All, all of our faith always preached this. He appeals back to the faith of the Jews and said that 
that the promise was always there. And he goes, and I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was all for this. And he goes, you can go to anybody from where I'm from and they'll tell you exactly who I am and what kind of person that I was and how seriously I took this faith. And he said, but I also felt that it was necessary. I had to stop this move of Jesus. He was convinced that it was the right thing to do. He goes, and then I, I had... I had orders from the highest possible authority in the land to go and find them even further and persecute them to the ends of the earth. And he goes, I did it, and I was exceedingly angry with them, very angry with these Christians. Going to pause for a second. Do you have anger problems? Do you have issues? Do you get too hot too quick? Maybe you, you take issues that should be way scaled down and you blow them up. To me, that's a sign of a problem in your relationship with Jesus Christ because he brings you away from that heat as he does with Paul here on the side of the road. Paul was angry to the point that he was killing Christians. He also went to the point where he would persuade them. Paul was great at persuasion, very good at persuasion. He persuaded people to deny their faith. And this is just some conjecture, this is just my opinion. But we know that elsewhere in scripture, Paul says that he has this thorn in his side and, and that he wished that God would take that away from him, this pain, this thing that pains him so much. And he killed Christians and he had some blaspheme. I think it's possible that he was less bothered with the killing of Christians, which is horrible. Don't advise it. Please don't do that. That's the con that's complete opposite of what we're trying to do here. But that he because at least in his mind, he could probably go, at least they're in heaven. I killed them. That's horrible. At least they're in heaven. But the ones that he had blaspheme, he doesn't get to see whether they turned back or not. Did they have a Peter moment? Did they have a Judas moment? And I think that might be the thorn in his side. Why else would he ask them to, to, to listen to him patiently? Because after that, that moment on the side of the road where he thought he was doing the right thing and all of his anger was exposed, he's knocked down to the ground and he hears this voice saying, Paul, no, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you, it is hard to kick against the goads. That's a weird thing for modern people to hear. What's a goad? Why is he kicking against them? Are they people? What's a goat? A goat is like if a, a, uh, a shepherd is trying to get his, his sheep to go in a direction and one of them's getting off, it's a stick that he just goes, whack, get back in line. So it's just a stick that he pokes him and like, get back in here. And so Jesus is saying, get back in here to Paul. Because Paul was a faithful Jew, but he got it wrong in the worst possible way. And God, in his mercy and his love for Paul, is trying to get him back in. And so... Paul is on the side of the road blind and shocked and he's on the ground and he hears this voice in his own Hebrew tongue saying, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you? And the response back is Jesus's voice saying, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. The last person that Paul expected to be on the other side of glory being shined down from heaven because in Paul's mind, that guy is getting his punishment for being a blasphemer. The utter shock 
for Paul to go, the guy we killed is God? Like, that is the, the biggest, like, wow moment ever in his, his entire world. I mean, you have got to appreciate his entire world is just being mixed up, upside down, backwards and inside out. I was that wrong? Yeah. And Jesus said, I'll show you how much you have to suffer for me. And then sends him to Rome and he's killed eventually. But practice he is so practiced in his ability. So he's, he's saying this testimony for the third time now in Acts. And I can't understand how many times he's probably said this in all the places that he's gone. It is so his nature to always talk about this. And he's ready and he's persuasive. How many times had he told this story? One day we'll all know. Last point. This man was gifted in the ways of persuasion. After he tells that part of his story of how he came to believe in Jesus, he goes on and he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Two years in prison, beaten, bloodied, falsely accused. And he says, to this day, I have the help that comes from God. If you have an issue in your life, you're going through struggle, you're going through torment, you're going through pain, you have access to the same help that came to Paul, you have access to that. And maybe somebody here is struggling to believe that, but I want to encourage you to try, to try to believe that that help that came to Paul in that scenario that could sustain him there, that goes to you as well. That's for you. And so that I can stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. That's the sound of a man losing an argument. But Paul said, so he insults Paul saying, you're a crazy man. And then Paul doesn't return insult. He goes, I'm speaking true. Most excellent. He actually compliments him. You call me crazy? You're wonderful. I love the Bible. I just do because that's in there. You're crazy. You're excellent. So good. Most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking, what does he appeal to? Truth and rational words. He goes, I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And I speak to him boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. He's looking directly at King Agrippa, the murderer of the line of the pillars of the church. And he goes, this was not done without your knowledge. 
Jesus was crucified right over here. You knew about it. You know about these things. None of this is a surprise. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? The sound of a man losing the argument. And actually, his walls are breaking down. Because you don't say that unless you are being persuaded to a degree. He wasn't all the way there. But in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would, go, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day. Everybody in this auditorium, listen to what I'm saying. I want all of you to believe like I am, but I just don't want you to be in chains about it. If somebody persecuted you the way that Paul was persecuted, you would probably be justified in being a little bit angry and wanting them to feel a little bit of what you had just had done to you. Them, that, that you want it done to them. And Paul says, I don't want you to be in chains. He's saying to his enemies who want him dead, I don't want you chained up. That's so much like Jesus. I love the Jesus I see in Paul. I want that in me, except for these chains, he says to them. Uncomfortable situations, persecution, conversations, your family calling you idiots for believing, believing this, your coworkers saying this is nutso. Lean into that. Don't shy away from it because that gives you practice. Because one day somebody's going to believe you. And it might be them. It might be the next guy. But I want to encourage us to engage in evangelism. Anybody who's in here that's going back to school, high school, college, lean into that. Don't shy away from it. Go to the hard conversations. Lean into the insults and don't return insult back. Be like Paul. Call them wonderful things and then make your case and be convinced of the resurrection of God because our responses will become so much more persuasive. Book learning and reading up and getting all the arguments in your head and trying all that doesn't work as good as dealing with actual people who we're meant to love and we're, we're called to love them. Paul did this. He was practiced, he was persecuted, and he was persuasive. I want that. I want that for me. So let's stand and then we're gonna pray. We're gonna ask God to put in us the things that are in Paul that were so wonderful that we would be able to emulate him as he was following Jesus. And here are the small group questions. And I don't want us to, to really just answer the first one yes and then move on. But if you're in a small group, are you convinced of the resurrection of Jesus? And if your answer to that is, why, is yes, I want to know why. I want you to say, this is why I'm convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. And then are you persuasive in your evangelism? Have the people that know you tell you. Because maybe you think you are, maybe you're not. Let's dig into that. And do you have an issue with anger? Are you like Paul? God might need to knock you down on the side of the road and deal with that anger so that we can love people the way that Jesus loves us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you rescued Paul, that most of us here in this room are, are believers because of the efforts of Paul, and that he answered the call, and that his heart was changed, and he had this crazy boldness to go before anybody who would listen to him and just boast of what you had done and not all of what he had done. 
I want to be like Paul in that way. Lord, make me an evangelist that has love for people and is persuasive. I want to be good at this. And even if I'm not good at it, I want to keep going until you make me good. Make me effective for your purposes. Check my pride. I don't want pomp. I want what Paul had, which was your spirit. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Thank you.